Well, it's lovely to be back in the pulpit at Creech. I've been in so many other different churches recently. Is my microphone working? It is. Sorry. <laughs> Just a couple of quick comments. Um, when you have your picnic next Sunday, is that, yes, next Sunday, the reason I'm not there is not because I'm avoiding your comments from today. It's because I'm actually preaching somewhere else <laughs> next Sunday, so I won't be here. Other quick comment is over on the table where the coffees are and the biscuits, biscuits, good place to go, you'll find a stand with some leaflets about the work that Marilyn and I do in Kenya. And please feel free to take one, take two, take ten, give them out to your neighbours, do something with them. We've left a space here, you can write shopping lists on and all sorts of things. So if you could help yourself to one, that may be helpful to you. Ah, yes. I'm going to have to be careful how I phrase this because I don't want Mark or Meg or Matt to realise, to think that I'm speaking about one of them specifically. But a pastor's child came up to him as he was preparing a sermon and said, Dad, I've got a question. I noticed that as you're working and writing things, you keep bowing your head and stopping and then you start again and you bow your head and Write some more and then you stop. Why why do you do that? And the father said, well, because I'm praying. I'm asking God to give me the right words. Ah. So dad, why do you keep crossing out what you've written? (laughs) Yeah. Preparing a sermon can sometimes be a real pain in the neck. I've been asked to preach on passages in the past where... It's been a nightmare preparing it. It's been a blessing when we've done it, but it's been a nightmare preparing it. There's just nothing there. You look at this and say, uh, what? You really want me to preach on, on that? But not this week. Matt gave me Psalm 139, and I love it. I love it. I, I, I read it again. Oh, I've read it before, strangely enough. But I read it again. And I thought, man, this is just too good to be true. So I read it. I read it in seven different translations, including the Hebrew interlinear Bible. And each one blessed me more than the one before. So I hope you'll find it a blessing as well. But before we get started, I want to ask a question. Who am I? Or maybe we should phrase this differently. Who are you? Maybe you should be asking that question, who am I? What is my identity? How do I see myself? How does God see me? I think these are important questions because the answer to them will impact every area of your life. Your work, your relationships, your family, your past, your future, how you respond to situations in life, and ultimately where you spend eternity. Who are you and how does God see you? Sadly, very often we base our identity on either a relationship, I'm Bill's mother, I'm Sally's husband or whatever, or on our job. Oh, I'm an accountant, I'm a whatever. That's understandable. People have been doing that for centuries. I mean, my my surname is White and I presume my... Some ancestor somewhere was a painter. I have no idea, probably 
I don't mean artist paint, he probably painted walls, white, any colour he could find. I, I don't know, but we, we base our identity on these sort of things. But that's not the best way to do it. It really isn't. When we do that, we, we limit our lives tremendously. Most of us, you know, spend a lot of time, you may not admit this publicly, but admit it in your heart because you know it's true. Most of us spend a lot of time and energy trying to be someone else. We dress like other people. We act like other people. But that's why when a celebrity wears a particular outfit to a big do, suddenly the shops sell out of it. People want to be like that celebrity. They want to look like that person. They want to act like that person. They want to be a replica of someone else. But that is not the answer. You need to discover your true identity. And I believe you'll find it in Psalm 139. I heard about a man who, when his daughter turned 18 and graduated from high school, he went to her and he said, Love, I want to give you a special gift to celebrate this day. Come with me to the garage. You know, you know the, that shed that I've never let you in before? Well, in there I've got a motor car. And I've been keeping it specially to give to you today. And he opened the door and, <clears throat> well, he said to her, this is all yours, <laughs> you, you lucky girl. But before you take it, I want you to do a couple of things for me. I want you to go down to the used car lot, tell them about it, and, and ask them how much they think it's worth. She said, all right. So she went down, came back, she said, well, they said they could probably stretch to 500 pounds. It's old. She said, go to the pawn shop and see what they say. And they said, well, they don't even want it. No, not interested. Do one last thing. You know the car club that meets down at the wreck every month? Go down there and and speak to them. And she came back and she said, some people at the club offered me £100,000 for it because it's a Nissan Skyline R34. It's iconic. Collectors want it. What is the value of that car? It depends who you ask. And it depends on how much they know about the subject. And I'm afraid very often we ask the wrong people and in the wrong places for our own value. We need to ask God. In the book of Psalms, David wrote these words, you are Sorry, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are your works, and I know this well. Each one of us, think about this. Don't just let these words go over your head. Think about it, because... It's very easy to just gloss over it. Each one of us is handmade by God. We'll come to one of this later. There's something fearful and wonderful about what God has done. 
I suspect it's at the end of the service, well, hopefully not at the end of the service, but it's maybe at the beginning of the service before you'd heard what we're going to say. I'd said to you, are you somebody special? Most of you would have said, yeah, I'm just an ordinary person. I do my best. I try. But not, nothing special about me particularly. But David had a different answer. David said, I am wonderful. I wonder how many of you said that to me at the door this morning. <laughs> Hi, Ray. I said, Hi, how are you? I am wonderful. <laughs> Aren't you lucky to know me? Uh, <laughs> had this shepherd boy who became a king suddenly lost his marbles? No, because he didn't stop there. If you look at it, he says, I am wonderful because God does really great work. I am wonderful because God made me and God does not make mistakes. You are wonderful because God made you and God doesn't make mistakes. Just look quickly through a couple of the things that he says in the song. We'll, we'll elaborate on them slightly, but as we go through, it says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now this doesn't only apply to David, this applies to you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. David says, I matter. David says, God has got a plan for me. I have the right personality, I have the right gifts, and I don't need to be like anybody else. God made me unique. God made you unique. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You matter. God has a plan for you. God has given you the right personality. You have the gifts. You may not recognize it, but you have the gifts. And you don't need to copy somebody else. You need to let God be God in you and through you. God has a purpose for your life. God wants to do something great in you and God wants to do something great through you. Yes, I know, and I'm not particularly pointing at anybody and I'm careful not to look in any particular direction as I say this because I know people are paranoid. But you've made mistakes. You've messed up. You've screwed up. Yes, I know. So have I. How do I know that? Because the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. <laughs> so that must include you. But God made a way to put it right. God said if we turn to him through his very own son, we can, he can deal with those things we screwed up on. He can deal with our mistakes. He can deal with the mess we've made. And he says, I've still got a plan for you. And I've still got a purpose for your life. And I still love you. I was reading the other day somebody who made a off-the-cuff comment, but it struck me quite deeply. He said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? He knew. 
He wasn't taken by surprise. He knew that you were going to screw up. He knew what a mess I'd make of my life. But that doesn't change the fact that as Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, we are God's workmanship. Now some translations will change that word workmanship to masterpiece. And there's a debate over the Greek. Choose which of you like. But I reckon if God makes something, it's got to be a masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has a purpose for you. He wants to do good things through you, for you, and to you. And he's planned them way back. Let's jump into Psalm 139. Don't worry, I know about time, but I was speaking to Richard earlier on, and he said we had to be finished by 3 o'clock on Tuesday, was it? That's right, so that's, that's fine. That, that's okay. I, I mean, he, he, he knows these things, and so I take his word for it. In the first six verses of the psalm, David says, God knows everything about you. Now, that can be frightening, that can be depressing, or that can be so encouraging. And I want you to be encouraged by it, not frightened by it, not scared by it. He says this, Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You perceive every movement of my heart and soul. You know our habits, Lord. God understands your thoughts. Now, let me be perfectly honest. Even I don't understand my own thoughts quite often. But it says, you understand my every thought before it even enters my mind. Somebody once said, I don't like to think what I'm going to say before I say it. I like to be as surprised as everyone else. (laughs) Well, what does God say about that? He says, you know, all the words I am about to speak before I even start the sentence. This is a God who knows you more intimately than you know yourself. He knows every detail about you. He knows even your future. He says, you know every step I will take before my journey even begins. He goes on to say in the psalm, and I'm quoting from the Passion Translation because I think this just puts a different flavour to it, but it's the same. I've read so many different translations, but this one just, I felt, for a couple of these verses, brought it to life. He says, you've gone into my future to prepare the way and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. You have laid your hand on me. This is the God who loves you. This is the God who has a purpose for your life. This is the God who made you to be who you are. In verse 6 he sums it up, he says, this is just too wonderful, deep, 
incomprehensible by the human mind. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. In the next few verses, 7 to 12, he says some amazing things. Let's just, just read them slowly together and think about them. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? Sorry. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go down into the realm of the dead, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you are there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you are waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It is impossible to disappear from you. It's impossible to ask the darkness to hide me, for your presence is everywhere, bringing light into my night. There is no such thing as darkness with you. The night to you is as bright as the day. There is no difference between the two. You can't hide away from God. Jonah tried. <laughs> Adam and Eve tried. Ray White tried. <laughs> I failed even worse than they did. You can't hide from God. He knows everything. He knows every detail about your life. And he still loves you. The world says that you're just a, a byproduct of a simple, natural, reproductive process. The Bible says, you're wonderful because you are handmade by the master craftsman. It all began with God weaving you together in your mother's womb. He put it all in place. The psalmist says, you formed my innermost beings. You shaped my delicate inside and my intricate outside. And you wove them together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvellous and breathtaking. It simply amazes me. And he continues, how thoroughly you know me, O Lord. You formed every bone in my body. You created me in the secret place carefully, skillfully. You shaped me from nothing into something. You created me to be before I became me. Think about that. Before I'd even seen the light of day, he says, the number of days you planned for me was already written in your book. Every single moment you are thinking about me. Take that in. Every single moment, God is thinking about you personally. How can he do that? He's God. I don't know. I mean, if, if I was to write down a list of things I don't understand that even human beings do, it would fill a library. How does God do things? I don't know. He's God. He can do anything. And it says he's thinking 
about you. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, okay, I'm wonderful in the sense that all of God's creation is wonderful. But David's not done. Not by a long shot. He says, you're wonderful because, because, this is what makes you wonderful, because you reflect your creator in ways that are absolutely unique. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When God handcrafted you, he didn't say, oh, well, let's make another one. This one will, uh, let's give this one brown hair and we'll give, give that one some blue eyes and oh, we'll make this one a male and we'll make that one a female. And... No. When your mother said to you as a child, do you realise when they made you, they, 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 they broke the mould. They never wanted another one like you. Well, she was only partly right, because there is no mould. We are mass-produced in a mould. You are handcrafted by God. And God put into the very centre of your being things that reflect his character in a way that no one else ever has or will. God can do things through you that he can't do through anyone else because that's what he created you for. You know, we we, we think of some of the great men of Christendom. Everybody knows the name Billy Graham. How many of you know the name Mordecai Ham? Mordecai Ham? Who's he? Well, he's only the guy who led Billy Graham to God. Everybody's heard of D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists of the last century. How did D.L. Moody become a Christian? What's the name of the person who led him? It was actually a Sunday school teacher. You, you may not see yourself as very significant or important and history may not remember your name but God knows and God will do things through you that will have massive repercussions. Did the Sunday school teacher know that by faithfully doing his work on a Sunday morning in church Deal Moody would become one of the greatest Christian evangelists to have lived up to that period in history? No. He just did his job. And probably if you'd asked him, are you something special? Not really. I teach Sunday school. Do my best. They're better teachers, but I try. But he was unique. He was the right man in the right place with the right blessing from the right God to do the right thing for the right person. And so are you. When I say you are unique, unique, I don't mean that you have characteristics that no one else has ever had. But you are unique in the combination of characteristics God has put into you. David likens the work of God to that of a weaver. He picks the exact colour and thickness of every strand that he's going to weave into this 
new being. He carefully puts them together to create someone who is unique and beautiful and perfect for the job he has in plan for you. If we were just here by some freaky coincidence, there's no reason for living. There's no purpose in life. There's no reason to have a moral life. There's no reason to do anything except, I feel like it. Sadly, that's where a lot of the world has ended up at the moment. But you were created. You are not here by accident. You have got a purpose. God created you for a reason. And that purpose is to live in a relationship with him and to allow him to show his glory through you. And to do that you need to know yourself. And to know, need to know how you've failed God and how God has forgiven you. You need to know him and how much he loves you and how much he sacrificed because of his love for you. You need to know the gifts that God has given to you, both the natural gifts and the spiritual ones, which both come from God. You need to say to yourself, I'm wonderful, because he made me. Without God, you can't do it. The clay cannot mould itself no matter how hard it tries, but God the potter can mould the clay. And not only does he know how to mould it, he knows what pattern he had in mind when he picked up that blob of clay and what he was going to turn it into. Every parent, I believe, has a dream for their children. I mean, I must admit that at times, thinking back to my children, it was more of a nightmare, but (laughs) every parent has a dream for their children. And God has a dream for you. Dream. He has a plan for you. You are unique. Just as your fingerprints are unique, your DNA is unique, you are uniquely created by God. We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared beforehand for us to do. Romans 8.29, I'm giving this to you from two versions. NIV says, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Let's bring that into simpler English, shall we? Again, the Passion Translation. For he knew all about us before we were born, and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his Son. He destined you from the beginning to share the likeness of his Son. And for that purpose, he'll use every circumstance in life, every up and every down, every good, and you may seem bad, to bring you into what he wants you to be, to conform to the image of his son, so that through you, he can be a blessing to the world. 
When you surrender to Jesus, you don't lose yourself, you find yourself. When you surrender to him, you, you experience more than you ever could. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for donkey's years. I've been a Christian 62 years. I'm still learning. He's still molding me. And those of you who know me probably think Ray's going to have to live to be at least 300 if God's going to complete the job. There's still lots to be done. But God is working in me. Remember this as we come to the close. Your identity in Christ is not based on your education, your economic worth, your social status. It is based on your relationship with God. And those who know God intimately, God says, are going to do great things. Daniel says, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Today, take a moment to thank God that you were not a mistake, that we're handcrafted by him. Take a moment to recommit your life to him and to ask him to have his way in you and to help you to be what he created.